Bibles, please, and turn to Jude. As we look again this morning at verses 3 and 4. Jude, verses 3 and 4. Of course, there's only one chapter, so uh, no, no chapter to talk about, no chapter to look at, but we'll look at, uh, at verses 3 and 4 today. We looked at these last week, and I want to come back and just finish up on, on really using or talking about one thing, one phrase, one idea uh, that Jude is talking about related to these men whom he is warning the church about there that he is writing to. I want you to hear the first four verses again as we read it. Jude, a slave of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are the called, beloved in God the Father and kept for Christ Jesus, or for Jesus Christ, may mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, or dear friends, while I was making every effort to write to you about our common salvation, I felt it a necessity, the necessity to write to you, appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all handed down to the saints. For certain persons have crept in unnoticed. Those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny, <coughs> and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. This is God's Word. You know, Jude, in, in beginning this letter, we, we've talked about it. I want to just remind you of something, that, that he starts out in verses 1 and 2 really talking about the common salvation. The thing that he really wanted to write the whole book about, the whole letter about, he begins by talking about, by saying, understand that you are the called, you are beloved in God, the Father, and you are kept for Christ Jesus. It's the essence of the gospel. That's the essence of the message. That, that we have been called by God, called by the Holy Spirit, by an internal effectual call. We are loved by the Father. That's why the call came. And because of that, we are kept for Christ Jesus. Jesus said if you're in me, nobody will snatch you out of my hand. If you abide in me, you'll abide with me forever. I will certainly not cast you out. I mean, on and on and on. Jesus talked about the security of the believer that is truly and, and rightly in him. So in those first two verses, Jude just basically summarizes the gospel. We are doulos. We are slaves of Jesus Christ. And we are called, beloved, and kept. And, and because of that, we are given mercy and peace and love and those are the three elements that every believer needs to, to continue in the Christian life. We talked about that several weeks ago. But in verses 3 and 4, he turns to his warning. He says, I, 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 wanna, I want you to know that I just wanted to expound on the glories of our common salvation. But there was this necessity. There was this burning necessity within my life, knowing what was taking place there where you are, that I felt like I had to write to you to encourage you, to plead with you, to, to, to defend or contend for the faith, the gospel, the faith that has been handed down to all the saints, all the saints being all believers, all the churches. I, I just felt like I needed to, to appeal to you in the strongest manner. Your calling is to contend for the gospel. 
Now, contending for the gospel is more than just defending the gospel. Defending the gospel would just be to sit around and wait until someone makes an attack on the gospel, makes an attack on the gospel, and then, let's keep it down, then go after and defend the gospel based on something coming at the gospel. But to contend for the gospel is not just to defend the gospel when it needs defending, but it's to contend, it's to show it forth, to speak it forth, to declare it to men everywhere we live. Not just waiting for an attack to come from without, but to contend for it, stand for it, pro profess it constantly in every area, every day of our life. So he says, I want you to, I want you to see there's this necessity to do that. Just as much so today as it was back then. Just as much so in the churches today as it was 2,000 years ago. There must be that contending. And then he gives the reason for that earnestly appealing to them, earnestly to contend for the faith. He says there have been certain persons who have crept in unnoticed. And last week we looked at just some of the, the characteristics of false teachers. Some of the characteristics of those who can creep in. But I want you to see the key way that Jude describes these men or these women, men and women, they're persons. He uses a, a, a neutral gender term there, a, a gender neutral term. Um, and he, he says these persons have crept in, certain persons have crept in unnoticed who are marked out long beforehand for this condemnation. But here's how he describes them. They are ungodly persons. They're ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. They are ungodly persons. Now, I want you to play along with me here for a minute. When you think of an ungodly person, I won't say who do you think of, but what do you think of? When you think of an ungodly person, what is the... What is the image that comes to your mind? It may be a, a drug addict on, on Skid Row in New York City. It, it, it may be someone who is a, uh, a philanthropist who just goes around uh, do, uh, doing whatever they desire to do, however they desire to do it. it. It might be someone that you think of who never darkens the door of a church, never has any desire for Christ or for Christianity, and they, they, they are agnostic and atheistic and they, they hate God and they'll say that quickly and, and, and when you think of an ungodly person a lot of times that's exactly what you think of the most unrighteous most horrible person that your mind can ever conjure up right it's not what he's talking about here when Paul wrote to the Romans in Romans chapter 1 and verse 18 and following he said this he said, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Now that unrighteousness would more categorize what I just had you thinking about. Ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness because that which is known about God is evident within them for God made it evident to them for since the creation of the world has invisible attributes. His eternal power, His divine nature have all been clearly seen, being understood through that which has been made so that they are without excuse. Now Paul there says that, that this whole idea, twofold if you will, of ungodliness and unrighteousness is what God's wrath will be poured out against. God 
in other words, hates that. He hates ungodliness. He hates unrighteousness. It seems to be that Paul is talking about, if you will, two stages that might take place. Ungodliness will lead to unrighteousness if not in check by the Holy Spirit. Unrighteous, uh, ungodliness will lead to disobedience. Ungodliness will lead to, to totally declaring, I want nothing to do with what God is all about. I mean, that, that will lead that way. But ungodliness is, is a, and these ungodly persons is a very specific matter that I want us to, content, uh, to, to think about uh, this morning. First of all, I want you to understand that there are what I would call four foundational truths about God that when they are denied is what brings about ungodliness or ungodly persons. The first, and, and these are very simple, they're really four principles that, that, that match up with the first four commandments that, that Moses was given up on Mount Sinai by God Himself. The first principle is this, the first foundational truth is this, God is and He is one. Simple. God is. He exists. He is a reality. Tonight, I, I was noticing last night that tonight on the Discovery Channel, uh, they're going to have a, uh, a special, uh, I think it's called, oh, what's it called? can't remember now. All of a sudden, I want to say Quest. It's not Quest. Curiosity. See, I knew some of you had seen it. Curiosity. And Stephen Hawking is going to sort of discuss the, uh, the, the, the question, is God really necessary? for all that there is. I set my TiVo for it because I want to see what, I know what he's going to say, but, but I want to hear him because I want to be able to contend against that. But, but the point is, to, to be godly, you have to come to a recognition first and foremost that God is and that he is one. He's, he's not manifest in, in a thousand different ways. There's not a God and another God and another God. There, there's one God, only one God, and we have to come to that understanding. The second principle is this. God is not like anything we can see. He's not like anything that we can see. You know, I, I saw a church sign this past week. You know how I love church signs that don't just quote scripture. And this church sign said, oh, I, can't, I, I even had this hard time mouthing these words. God is like Coca-Cola. He's the real thing. Well, God is the real thing. He's the real person. But to take Coca-Cola, and, and pardon my Pepsi friend here. Uh, if, if you, they, got the, they got the phrase first, I'm sorry. But to, to, take the, to take anything and say God is like is to totally distort what God is like. Nothing in this earth. There, there's, there, he's not like anything we can see. He is something more excellent than everything. I mean, he's more excellent than anything and everything. So that's a principle. He is. He's not like anything we can see. Thirdly, God cares about human affairs and he judges justly. And by that I mean what we would call the providence of God. We'll talk about providence in a minute. God providentially cares about his world. He's, he's not a God who just created it and then backed away and said, well, let's see how this goes. God is intimately involved in the affairs of his world. He created it and he cares about it and he works in it and he leads in it and he judges justly 
when ungodliness is the primary factor. Fourthly, this same God is the maker of all things or the creator of all things. The God who is and the God who is not like anything we see and the God who cares about human affairs is the same God who is the maker, the creator of everything you see. Everything. Nothing is here that was here before God. Everything that's here, God made. God created. Whether it's humans or whether it's animals or whether it's dirt, God created it. And that's important to recognize when you're thinking about these ungodly persons. And, and ungodly persons in the church today. I, I think there are several things about that that what we're talking about here I want you to see. First of all, we might call these four truths that we must acknowledge or else we fall into ungodliness or godlessness. I'll use the term godlessness because uh, a quote I'm going to use here in a minute will use that. And, I, and, and ungodliness, you understand this, ungodliness, un is a prefix which means not or against. And so ungodliness and godlessness, L-E-S-S, means not around, not there. So ungodliness or ungodly and godlessness are, are basically synonyms. They're, they're, they're the same thing. But there are four truths that we must come to acknowledge if we're going to avoid ungodliness. The first one is this. God is to be honored as the first cause of everything. Now that flows out of that fourth principle I gave you, that God's the maker of all things. He's the first cause of everything. That's sort of a philosophical term. That's sort of a, a philosophical idea. But it's theologically bound up in the creation. In the beginning, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. In, in the beginning, there was nothing... And out of nothing, God spoke something. He said, let there be light, and there was light. He said, let the waters be separated from the land, and the waters were separated from the land. Just by His Word, everything that is now in existence came into existence because of His Word. That's important to understand. That's a principle, that's a truth that must be acknowledged. He gives life to everything. And understand this, ignorance of that is no excuse. Ignorance is in reality a form of ungodliness. Think about Acts chapter 17. When Paul comes into Athens and, and, and going to Mars Hill and he sees all these, all these statues, all these idols all around and there's one that really catches his eye and, and it says, the inscription on it was, to an unknown God. Paul thought that very interesting. So, much so he built his whole sermon around it. I, I see that you have covered all the bases. The Haynes paraphrase. I see that you've covered all the bases. You've tried to get an idol, a statue, an acknowledgement of every god and, and, and false god that you can imagine. But just in case you missed one, you put this idol here to an unknown god. And Paul says, I want to tell you something. I want to tell you who that unknown god is. And in reality, he is the only god. He is the first cause of all things. And he's to be honored as such. He is the creator of everything that there is. He gives us life and breath and and, and water and, and everything there is, he gets, that's who that unknown God is, and it would do you well to get to know him. Indeed, 
if we don't trust Him, or, or if we trust in anything other than Him, or if we fail to acknowledge His providence or the effects of His mercy and justice and power, we are guilty of ungodliness. That's a quote from Thomas Manton, a Puritan. He said, if we do not trust Him, or if we trust in anything other than God, or if we fail to acknowledge His providence or the effects of His mercy, justice, and power, then we are guilty of godlessness. We are guilty of being ungodly persons. But I don't steal and kill and rape and pillage and do all those kind of things. I don't do those kind of things. I am a, by Somerset standards, I'm a good person. But Manton says, and I think rightly so, if you don't trust Him, trust Him in every area, every walk of your life, if you don't trust Him, or if you're putting your trust in anything else, I hope your trust wasn't in the stock market this week. Because boy, did your God get take a hit. But if you put your trust in anything other than God, in your money, in your possessions, in your husband, in your wife, in your kids, in your parents, if your trust is in anything other than God, or if you fail to acknowledge His providence, you know what drives me crazy? You might argue I'm already there. But one thing that drives me crazy is to hear Christians say, boy, I was sure lucky in that one. You know, I was sure lucky. Glad I had good luck there. No, I don't I didn't get good luck. I had a I had a good God who is providentially caring for me, who is watching over me, who is protecting me, and his providence may not always be good from our perspective, but it's always good into the final analysis, which we'll talk about in a minute. But if I don't trust in Him, if I trust anything other than Him, if I don't acknowledge His providence, His care in my life, or if I don't see, if I don't acknowledge the effects of His mercy and justice and power, then we are guilty of godlessness. Even church people. Even church people. Not only is He to be honored as the first cause, but God is also to be acknowledged as the highest good. The highest good. Remember when the, when the rich young ruler came to Jesus and he said, Oh, good teacher, good rabbi. And Jesus looked him in the eye and said, Who are you calling good? Now he wasn't disavowing being good. He just wanted to be sure the, 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 the young ruler knew who he was and what he was claiming to be. And he looked at him and said, Why do you call me good? There is none good but God. He is the ultimate good. He is the highest good. He, he is, the, he is the, the most magnificent good that we can ever imagine. Ever, ever, ever think. And we couldn't imagine. He gave us that truth in His Word. He's to be acknowledged as the highest good. So what does that mean for us? It means we are to know Him. Jesus, when he prayed in the garden there in John chapter 17, he prayed for you and me, and he's praying to the Father. He said, Father, I pray, I pray that they might have eternal life, and this is eternal life, that they may know you. This is eternal life, that they may know you, have an encounter with you, have a relationship with you, not, not, just, not just have a, an intellectual assent that, oh, God is, 
but that he is such the highest good that we will make it our life's purpose to know him, to encounter him, to come face to face with him. And we do that in his word. I'm amazed at Christians who say, oh, I really want to really have an encounter with God and never get into the word. They, they want some kind of zapping from God, not some kind of discipline from God that comes from knowing him in his word. You can't know God without his word. You can't even know about God without his word. Because our imagination can never imagine a God that's as great as the God that, that is. So we're to know him. We're to think of him often. To think of him often. How much of your day is occupied with thoughts of God? You, you don't have to answer. But I do want you to think about that. How much of your day is occupied by thoughts of God and His goodness and His mercy and His power and His providence in your life? Or are you too busy thinking about the balance sheet? Are you too busy thinking about the housework that's got to be done? Are you too busy thinking about pleasing the boss? And you kind of say, well, I'll, I'll get back around to God come Sunday. That's not acknowledging him as the highest good. As we said thousands of times, worship is not just coming here. But worship is all about life. And it's full of life. So, so these ungodly persons were those who, who, who didn't honor God as the first cause. They, they didn't acknowledge God to be the highest good. And, and they didn't delight in communion with Him. Delight yourselves in the Lord and He'll, He'll give you the desires of your heart. Scripture says, Psalm 37. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. You know where we always focus? We always focus on the desires of our heart. Oh, I want this. Still desiring that portion. Still hadn't got it. That's a whole other story. The key of Scripture is, is delighting in Him. Desiring communion with Him. Fellowship with Him. Prayer with Him. Study of His Word. To know Him. To think often of Him. To delight in communion with Him. To neglect this is godlessness. To neglect thinking about him, communing with him, and, and, and really, really knowing him is to really say, hey, I'll acknowledge him occasionally, but I'm really my God. That's godlessness. That's ungodly persons. See how they can creep in. Paul said, I mean, Jude said they, they, they crept in unnoticed. They weren't, they weren't coming in with a with a drug in one hand and a pint of liquor in the other and saying, hey, let's party. They were coming in and saying, oh, we are Christians too. But they're trusting in their own selves. Trusting in their own strength rather than trusting in Him who is the highest good. Thirdly, to avoid being an ungodly person that Jude is talking about here, God must be acknowledged as the supreme truth and authority. The supreme truth and authority. 
That is, he's above every other thing we would call truth. And we understand that everything that is true in this world is true because he is truth. And those truths flow out of his truth. And, and everything that is true would not be true if he were not truth. You follow me? He is the essence. He is the ultimate of truth. And, and he must be acknowledged as the supreme truth and supreme authority. To fail to, fail to search his word, to hear from him, to fail to submit to him, to, to fail to reverence Him in worship or subject our hearts and our lives to His Word is Godlessness. Pure and simple. According to the Word. He is to be sought. He is to be known. He is to be desired. He is to be heard from, from His Word and through His Word. And then finally... Not only is he to be honored as the first cause, not only is he to be acknowledged as the highest good, not only is he to, uh, to be acknowledged as supreme truth and authority, but fourth, God is the last end. He's the first cause. He's the last end. Now, what in the world do I mean by last end? He's the final of everything. He is... He is, he is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end, Scripture says. He is the one who will still be when all that we see around us now is no more. He'll still be. Because He is the last end as well as the first cause. Therefore, because He is the last end, our actions, spiritual and moral and natural, all of our actions, spiritual, normal, excuse me, spiritual, moral, and natural, even those, of, uh, those actions of the smallest consequence are to be aimed for His glory. Are to be aimed for His glory. And to fail to do this is Godlessness. Paul talked about that in Ephesians 1. When he said, you have been called with a holy calling from before the foundation of the earth. You have been, all these things have been lavished upon you. You've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly place. And he goes on and on. And then he says, it is for the glory of his name. He did all that for you that you might glorify his name. You know, dare I say, and is this going to upset some of you if I say, your salvation is not for you? Oh, you benefit greatly from it. Oh, it's a, it's a great thing to have that God grants you that. But do you realize that your salvation is really not for you, but it's for Him and for His glory and for His exaltation? And to say, oh, well, I've been saved. I've, I'm saved. I'm just going to sit down now and wait on Him. To, to see what he's going to do for me is a, is a distortion of the truth of the gospel. Everything we do, every action we have, whether it's spiritual, moral, or natural, everything that we have, even the smallest consequence, is to be aimed for his glory. 
you young people are going to start back school this week. Lucky you. You're going to start back school. And, and, and I could ask you, what, what, is your, what is your purpose? Well, my purpose is to get good grades so I can get in a good college and get good grades there so I can get a good job. And, and you, know, you can go on and on. You can build that thing out as long as you go. For the believer, for the Christian, the good grades are to be sought that he might be glorified. Tomorrow, many of you are going to go to work. Why are you going to work? Well, I'm going to work to earn money so I can buy food and pay my house payment and pay my bills. I'm, I'm going to work so that I can get something for me that I can then give to other people so I can stay comfortable. Well, that's an ungodly purpose for life, according to Jude in the Scripture. Our purpose for going to work is so that we might work as unto Him, for His glory, so that people will say, I see Christ in you. I see in your actions, in your job, in your studies, I I see God being exalted and glorified in you. To do anything else is to fall into ungodliness or godlessness. One of my favorite writers, long since dead, is a guy named J.C. Ryle. If you're not ever reading of J.C. Ryle's stuff, you ought to get something. His little book on prayer, his, his book on holiness is a classic. But in his book on holiness, J.C. Ryle writes, what are, what are some of the signs that we really love Christ, really love God? And, and I'm just going to run through this. It's, it, it's, I'm not going to put a lot of commentary on it, but I want you to hear this because I think, I think Ryle has hit it on the head what a godly person will be. He said, if we love a person, if we really love a person, we like to think about them. We don't need to be reminded about them. We do not forget his name or her name or his appearance or his character or his opinions or his taste or his position or his occupation. Well, Ryle says it's just so between the true Christian and Christ. We think about him. Secondly, Ryle says, if we love a person, then we like to hear about him. We find pleasure in listening to those who speak of him. We feel an interest in any report which others make of him. Well, it's just so between the true Christian and Christ. Thirdly, if we love a person, we like to read about him. What intense pleasure is a letter from an absent husband who gives to a wife or, or a letter from an absent son to his mother. We love to read about them and what's going on. Well, it is just so between the true Christian and Christ. If we love a person, we like to please him. We are glad to consult his taste and opinions. We, we act upon his advice and do the things which he approves. Well, it is just so between a true Christian and Christ. 
if we love a person, we like his friends. We are glad to, uh, we, we are favorably inclined to them. Even before we know them, we are drawn to them by the common tie of common love to one and the same person. We like his friends. Well, it's just so between the true Christian and Christ. Seventh, if we, if we love a person, excuse me, sixth. If we love a person, we are jealous about his name and honor. We do not like to hear him spoken against without speaking up for him and defending him in whatever's being said. Well, it is just so between the true Christian and Christ. If we love a person, seventh, if we love a person, we like to talk to him. We, we tell him all our thoughts and we pour out all our heart to him. We find no difficulty in discovering subjects of conversation. Well, if we love Christ, uh, if you're a true Christian, it's just so between the true Christian and Christ. Finally, if we love a person, we like always to be with him. Thinking and hearing and reading and occasionally talking are all well in their way. But when we really love a person, we want something more. We, we want to be with them. We want to be in their presence. We, we don't want to just hear about them, hear from them, talk to them on a the phone or, or today get text messages or email. We want to be with them. We want to be in their presence. Well, it is just so between the true Christian and Christ. I'm going to put that in my Grace Notes article this week, I think. I want you to think on that. I want you to meditate on that. What is the focus? What is the passion? What is the desire of your life? If it's not Christ, if it's not God, then it, it may very well be that Jude is saying, watch out for yourself. Because there is a godlessness, there is an ungodliness about your life that needs to be rectified. And that can happen even among believers. Who do you love? Who are you passionate for? I think of... Piper's statement that he said many years ago, John Piper, that I've quoted numerous times through the years. But it's simply this. God is most glorified in you when you are most satisfied in Him. God is most glorified in your life when you are most satisfied in Him. Meaning that He's all you want. He's all you need. He's who you trust. He's who you love. He's who you desire. He's who you want more than anything else. God is most glorified in you when you are most satisfied in Him. Let's pray.
Father, the re reality of this sermon today for every believer is what we're about to sing. All I have is Christ. Lord, the reality of the faith that we are to defend and contend for is simply that all we have is Christ. He is our hope. He is our salvation. He is our security. He is our life. so grateful, Lord, that when I am weak, you are strong. I'm so grateful, Lord, that for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Lord, I'm so thankful that you take our weaknesses and turn them into your strength. Speak, O oh Lord by your word and by your Holy Spirit. For all I have is Christ. All we have is Christ. And we sing it unto you. I don't know if you know the Lord today or not. I don't know if you've come to the point of of acknowledging Him as the highest good and the supreme truth and authority and you know Him and you think of Him often. You delight in communion with Him and with His people. I don't, I don't know where you are. But I invite you to Christ as we stand together and sing.